Good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to see you all, especially faces we haven't seen in a little bit. Welcome back. Um, today we're going to be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Um, I'm really glad that I could explore this particular passage with you because it's one that I've always loved. And I hope that God will speak it to your heart today as it's fondly referred to as the Jars of Clay passage. So you might know it. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I think it seems to be cut off the screen there, but it's 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, 1 to 7. Now this is Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth and in the reading ahead we won't have time to go through everything but I want to in part highlight the struggles of these early Christians Paul's in particular and of the amazing truth that is the gospel which carried them onward in the face of extreme hardship and how it can help and inspire us today as we seek to follow Jesus In the opening line of the passage Paul boldly states to the Corinthians Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry we do not lose heart. When I read that verse, I had to pause and ask, how can Paul say we do not lose heart? Because not only is losing heart and being discouraged something that we all go through, but I asked it because this is the same Paul that if we flick back to chapter 1, verse 8, just said he despaired of life itself. He says in chapter 1, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Uh, despaired of life, it seems like a contradiction, and Paul definitely wouldn't say those words lightly. If we skip forward to 2 Corinthians 11:24 to 29, we can see he was no stranger to hardship. This is what it says. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked and besides everything else I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. 
who is weak and I do not feel weak? He asks at the end. I feel weak. I feel like I need to lie down every time I hear about his list of struggles. Um, but we'll get back to this soon about sparing and not losing heart. In verse 2, it says, Rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth true plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is all about honesty. Paul is laying all his cards on the table here for these Corinthians. He's stating that in every way they have been honest and open about who they are and about the message they bring. They're not pretending to be someone they're not, nor are they changing the message of the gospel so that it doesn't offend people. Um, there would have been many who remained suspicious of Paul's ministry back then, uh, partly because they were unable to understand the truth of his message, and partly because it didn't seem possible that men could live lives so different. Uh, surely it was an act somehow. Surely these were con men, con artists. And we can definitely understand their cynicism. Um, but Paul invites them to see there's no hidden motive. They serve out of love for God and man in order to share this great message of salvation, of trusting in Jesus and being saved from the consequences of sin and reunited with God forever. In a world that values the superficial, we need to go deeper. As Christians, we need to be open and honest about who we are and what we say and what we do. We need to show that we're not in it for anything other than the love of God and the love of those around us. As we follow God, we strive to live with integrity. This in itself is a great witness to the power of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it says in verse 3 and 4, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So in verse 3 and verse 4, Paul is speaking about a veil over the gospel to those who are perishing. Without God-given understanding, the truth remains veiled and hidden. Paul states the God of this age has blinded them to it, and this is the sad reality of today too. But people are not without hope. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said that light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That was verse 5 and 6. And again, it's another honest declaration of what was already visible to see in their lives. That they were not promoting themselves in any way. Far from it. They took the role of servants to the church. Servants with one purpose, to promote Jesus as Lord at all costs to themselves. A God-given mission of service. These were the lowliest and hardest of positions which offered no earthly reward. Quite the opposite. As we read earlier about Paul, these Christians' lives were marked by terrible hardships. No titles, no wealth, no status. Hungry, beaten, rejected, imprisoned, deserted by their friends in ministry, opposed at every turn, hunted like animals, overwhelmed by the circumstances of their lives to the point of despair. Yet it was these very hardships that was the proof of their sincerity, uh, of their faith to those around them. Uh, we talk about despair, 
despair is where the world can bring you to. It's where I brought Paul to. It's that place of hopelessness when you have nothing left to give. Yet Paul knew his life wasn't out of control. Neither is ours. If we ever find ourselves in that place, and we do, and we can, Paul knew no matter how life looked or felt that there was a greater power at work here, a greater truth to prevail in the face of everything that the world could throw at you. He knew this suffering, these trials, these light and momentary afflictions, as he called them, were preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul was seeing it through the eyes of faith, and he knew it was worth it. He really knew. He knew Jesus was all he'd ever need. He may have despaired, but as it says in verse 1, he never lost heart. He never stopped believing it was all worth it. How did Paul see himself through all this? Well, verse 7 is hands down one of the most beautiful verses I've ever read. Uh, Verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. Who could argue with that? Jars of clay, common, fragile jars of clay, nothing special. Most of us with more cracks than clay, made from the dust and will return to the dust. This is exactly how God wanted it to be. Exactly how he wanted us to be. Our weaknesses, our troubles, our illnesses, our failing bodies and minds, everything we struggle with, uh, leaves no doubt, not just to us, but to all those around us, that it's the mighty power of God at work and not us. When we're freed from lifelong addictions, when we speak the word of God, even though we're terrified, when we choose to obey God, even if it doesn't make sense, when we reject the brutal nature of this world and instead truly love those around us, when we forgive from the heart and resist the part of us that demands vengeance, when we stand against the evil in this world and follow Jesus, even unto suffering and death, without doubt, whose power is evident to all, not ours, but the Lord God, the God of the impossible. This treasure inside us is Jesus, and the light of God that shines out through us. It shines even more through the cracks, through our brokenness. God's strength displayed all the more in our weakness, and that's good news for us. It's great news for us, because we're just chock full of weaknesses. All throughout the Bible, God consistently turns our way of measuring things upside down. Our value system gets toppled. He chooses the weak to display his strength and power. The sinner and the outcast receive God's love and grace with open arms. A young shepherd boy defeats a formidable warrior named Goliath. Proud kings are laid low, and lowly shepherds become kings. God becomes man, so he can suffer and die in our place and redeem those without hope. The upside-down kingdom. A kingdom of frail, ordinary people like you, like me. A kingdom of jars. 
We get so caught up in this life, trying to fix ourselves and not be weak. And we get so distracted, we beat ourselves up every day for feeling overwhelmed and broken. Then we listen to that voice inside us that tells you you need to have more, to be more, to do more. What if God designed you to be you? Cracks and all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul replies that he will boast all the more gladly about his weaknesses, so that Christ's power may remain on him. He goes on to say, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It sounds backwards, it sounds wrong, but it's not. All of us get overwhelmed, we fear, we worry, we despair. All of us struggle and suffer. We share the weakness and vulnerability of being a clay jar, just like Paul. I was reminded of the song um, we sing called More Like Jesus, and the chorus goes, If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. Are we ready to surrender everything? To be a vessel for the light of Christ? To accept being less so Christ can shine all the more? Do we trust that even when we despair of life like Paul did, we have reason to not lose heart? To not surrender this great hope we have? Because we know the value of this treasure within. Because we know the depth of God's love for us found in Jesus and of the future that he's promised us. Do we trust in Jesus? Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 8, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. If you have trusted in Jesus, then that treasure is within you. If not, well, today is a good day to start trusting. We don't need to hide our weaknesses. Rather, like Paul, we should celebrate them, because it points to Jesus and the power of God. It turns out, a clay jar is exactly what God is looking for. And again, that's great news for all of us. (laughs) 